I told you you were going to have a good time, didn't I? Great, great worship time today, and thank you, choir, and thank you, leadership, for all that you do to make our services great. I'm just so glad to have the choir practicing and singing again. They just are a blessing to us. Amen. As you know, I've been in a series dealing with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we've uh, talked about that for several weeks. I, I'm going to preach on the subject today. Next Sunday, we're going to have deacon ordination. We have two deacons, Dustin Moore and Joel Register, that have been elected by the church and have never been ordained, and they will be ordained in the Sunday service next Sunday morning. And immediately afterwards, there will be a reception for them in the atrium where you just go through. There won't be any gathering and staying for any time, but you'll walk through the atrium to, to speak to them and encourage them and, and thank them for serving, serving and congratulating them on their being set apart for the office of deacon. That'll be next Sunday. And then the next week, of course, I'll preach the final message at this point that I plan to preach on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, of course, we go the very next Sunday into the time of, uh, of uh, Advent. Yes, thank you. The time of Advent, and we'll be talking about the, the coming of Jesus the first time as he came as the babe of Bethlehem. So we'll look forward to that through the month of December. So you sort of have the preaching plans there, and God now... Sometimes he intervenes and leads me in a different direction from what I understood that he wanted me to do to begin with. So don't walk in and say, well, you said. <laughs> You've never done that, have you? Let me tell you the ones who have. <laughs> Just kidding. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24, and it's a short passage that I'm going to read, and then I'm going to read some other passages through the message, but I want you to turn there because I want you to see something for yourself with your own eyes that you may have overlooked before in reading this passage. Matthew 24, verse 32 through 35, verses 32 through 35 of Matthew 24. Now learn this parable. Now learn this parable. Many times when we refer to this passage, and I'll finish reading it, but many times when we refer to it, we forget that Jesus said it is a parable when he talks about the fig tree. And a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. You remember that? It is an earthly story with heavenly meaning. It is a story about everyday life in the flesh, but with a spiritual application. And all the time Jesus was ministering on this earth, he often spoke in the form of a parable, using stories about everyday life that people would identify with and could understand what he was talking about in order to make an application of a heavenly meaning. A story about life in the flesh, but he was making a spiritual application. 
And so we need to remember that when Jesus said this is a parable or hear this parable or he speaks even without introducing something as a parable and you recognize it as a parable, it is to help you understand something spiritual. It's not just about you getting a story about something that happens in life, but it's about a spiritual application, a spiritual lesson that we may grow in knowledge and grace in the Lord Jesus Christ and that we may develop spiritually and we may so understand some things in the life that we live on this planet that have to do with that that's going to come in heaven and what he's promised there. So we read these things understanding that it is practical in its statement, but it is spiritual in its application. So let's look at the practical and the spiritual as we look at this. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, or the King James says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, this generation will by no means pass away till all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Jesus said, I want you to learn something. And I'm going to use <clears throat> the parable of the fig tree to help you understand that. He said, just, and you can, use the, you can use other plants, but Jesus uses the fig tree for spiritual purposes here that we may understand what he's saying to us. He's, but you can look at another plant that when it starts to put forth its spring sprouts, you know that summer is coming. You know that warm weather is on its way. When plants begin to put on their foliage, those that are not evergreens, and you see the new growth, you know that it's warming up. It's springtime. It's going to soon to be summer. He said it's true with a fig tree. The fig tree is dormant in the cold months. But when you see it put forth new growth and it begins to sprout out, you know that summer is near. Now, when he says, I speak to you in a parable, we have to understand the spiritual application of it. When Jesus speaks of the fig tree, he is speaking of the nation Israel. The fig tree is symbolic in Scripture of the nation Israel. And he says, when you see Israel put forth new growth, you'll know that summer is near. You will know that what I'm going to tell you about here is coming close. And he goes on to say that when you see all of these things begin to take place, then you will know that the times are near. Well, Israel put forth new growth in 1948, 74 years ago. I guess it's 73. But you, Israel put forth new growth 
73 years ago. I ought to keep up with that because I was born in 1948. So I ought to know that it's 73 years ago. But what he said was, when you see that, and I really ought to know it because many of you have already wished me a happy birthday today. I, uh, that's the only thing on God's green earth that I have in common with Nick Saban. <laughs> it's an October 31st birthday. But you know, and I get teased, I've been teased about it all of my life. Uh, I've been teased about being a goblin and spooky and all this kind of thing. But I'm going to tell you the truth of the matter is, my mother said every other mother she knew got tricked, but she got a treat. Thank you for that little applaud. Tommy, it was nice knowing you, brother. <laughs> he said, that was your mama. <laughs> your mama talking but in, in understanding that listen to what he says he says it has a spiritual application that when you see that take place you know something is about to happen he says you know when the fig tree puts forth its new life that summer is here that you're going to see warmer days and you're going to see more growth he said, likewise, when you see that take place, and I tell you about these other things, that I take <clears throat> the generation that experiences that will not have passed away until these things all take place. And the things he talks about come after this. This generation will not have passed away. Can I just throw in something that I just speaks to me? It, I'm not trying to explain scripture here, but it just it, spe it speaks to me. When Jesus spoke these words, a generation was not considered to be very many years, maybe 45 to 50 years. And even in my earlier years, a generation was considered to be 60, 65 years eased on up to 70. Now it's late 70s that a generation will live. Could it be, I just throw this out here for your consideration and for your thoughts and understanding on the subject. Could it be that God in his wonderful mercy, that God in his longing, that it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, that when those days are coming, when the Jesus is coming back again and you see these things take place, that he has extended the life of humanity and a generation's longer than it was when he spoke this word because of his patience and his love and his mercy for mankind, that he died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. So we used to say, if Jesus does not tarry his coming, I believe he has tarried his coming in these days, but we see the end, the time of his coming, drawing near. For this generation, my generation, that was the, at that point, we are the youngest generation to have experienced that, 1948. Until this generation passes away, this will not take place. But when it does, it will take place. 
That is one of the reasons your pastor believes, as I preach and teach these truths, that the coming of Jesus is near. It's going to happen. And he says, when you least expect it, when you're not planning on it happening. And I'm telling you, we're living in a day when no one is planning on Jesus coming today. No one got up this morning saying, I believe this is the day the Lord is coming. I'm looking for him. I'm trusting him. I just look for him <clears throat> today. And if he doesn't come, I'll be looking for him tomorrow. We don't live that way. We don't think that way. We don't even long for that as we're supposed to. And he says in that time, when you least expect it, when you think not, when you don't believe it's about to happen, is exactly when he's coming again. But then he goes on to say, this generation will not pass away till you see these things take place. And then he goes on to say, you better listen to me. He didn't, I didn't say that, he did. He said, you better hear this, for heaven and earth may pass away, but what I'm saying will never pass away. Other things may change. Other attitudes may change. Truth can change as what we understand truth to be. And I've seen that, and you have in your lifetime. What we consider to be absolute truth has proven not to be true, and we've learned new things through the generations. But let me tell you, Jesus said, when you hear his words, when you read his words, you can depend on, though everything else may not last, everything else may be annulled, you can depend that his word will not go without being true. You can count on it. There's going to come a time when every nation of the world will come against Israel. The United States has been Israel's friend since 1948 and was instrumental in Israel being seated in the United Nations in 1960 at the age of 12. All of this symbolic of Scripture when she enters into her young adulthood. And as Israel was declared a nation by the United Nations and given a seat in the United Nations, she became an adult nation. And we've seen Israel grow through the years. But we've seen the bitterness and the strife and the hatred toward the nation of Israel grow and grow and grow. And there are millions of people on the planet of earth that would stamp out the nation of Israel tomorrow if God should remove his protection of the nation of Israel and they could do that. There's going to come a day when they're going to muster up all of the energy, muster up all of the weapons, muster up all of the armies, and they're going to come together. The whole world will come and get together against the nation of Israel. And of course, you know that's when Jesus comes back to earth the second time, not the rapture of the church, but comes back to earth the second time and sets up his millennial kingdom. And let me tell you what, the millennial kingdom is not figurative, it is real. Jesus exposed that to the apostle John, that it absolutely is going to be a time when there is peace and he reigns on this earth and we will come with him as he reigns during that time. We are not, listen, if this is the millennium, I want out of it. 
This is not the time of peace. This is not the time. Jesus is not Lord of this earth today, of this world. The world hates him. He's only Lord to the believer who is trusted in his finished work on Calvary. And it's for the believer he gives these words of encouragement that you might not let this moment overtake you in ignorance that Jesus is going to come again and he even gives a general understanding of the time when he comes. But he goes on to say that no one knows the day nor the hour when he's coming. Therefore, he says, to be prepared, to be ready. Now, am I, am I a doomsday preacher? No, I don't think the rapture is a doomsday. I think it's a victory day. I'm not trying to preach doomsday. That's going to come to the unbelieving world and the generations of that but i'm telling you it's going to be a glorious experience when mamas and daddies and grandparents that have died in christ come up out of the grave in new bodies and we are changed into glorified bodies and join them and meet the lord in the air and to be with the lord can you imagine the joy that is in that jesus said be ready for it because it's coming when you least expect it As you read the news, even those in leadership in the United States of America have expressed their bitterness and hatred toward the nation of Israel. And there is a movement in Congress today to withdraw our support of that nation and for not to be a friend of Israel as we've been in the days past. Many of our leadership is sympathetic to the Muslim cause, which absolutely desires to stamp out the nation of Israel and every Israelite be put to death. They absolutely despise them. You don't listen to what somebody may try to sweep over that. I'm telling you, it has been going on since the day of Abraham, and it continues to go on today of a bitterness and a hatred for the nation of Israel. But blessed is the nation that stands by the nation of Israel. Even the Pope, whatever he means to you, not much to me. But he is the leader of what is considered, quote and unquote, the largest Christian denomination in the world. And he demands that Israel give place and land for Palestine, the Palestinians, to have their own state on what is supposed to be Israel's property. That's the day we live in. And see, those kind of things have happened over the last 73 years, just gradually happening. And it, since 1960, when she was seated as an adult nation in the United Nations, we have seen that become increasingly more, there become more bitterness and hatred for Israel than was before and wasn't expressed before. But nowadays, it is commonplace that those kind of things are said. We live in a day when the world hates what God's plan is for a people that he promised that to them before he ever birthed one child of God into the Christian faith, a promise to the nation of Israel.
But he says, you'll see these things come to pass. Let's keep reading, if you want to, with verse 36. The, the signs demand it. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Let me go back to that and just draw you a real quick word picture here. God was ready to destroy the world by flood. But Noah found grace, according to the scripture, in the eyes of the Lord. And we know that because we find Noah loved God with all of his heart. Now, we could talk about that further. He believed God with all of his mind, and he trusted God with all of his life. And God found grace for Noah and told him to build an ark. And Noah labored and built that ark. And can you imagine the folks being making fun of him? And what are you building? What's that thing? That thing is never going to float, Noah. What do you what do you mean? There's no water within miles around here. Why are you building that dumb boat? God told me to, that he's going to destroy the world with a flood. And no one, he didn't have one convert, only his family. And Noah didn't know that when the day was going to come, he just worked by faith. He just did what God told him to do. But he knew it was coming, and he made those preparations, and he finished the ark. And what did God say? Noah, gather up the animals. Noah, gather up your family. Get all aboard on that ark. And the Bible says when that Noah did it, not knowing if it was his last trip up that ramp or he was going back down to get something else, didn't know if that was the last bit of food he was going to take or he was going back and get something else. He thought he had had all the animals, but he didn't know if he'd finished it with all God told him to get. But he went on the ark that day, and God closed the door according to the word. Not Noah. God shut the door. And that day was a surprise to Noah, not that it was coming, but that it happened that day. That day was a surprise to his family. But let me tell you what, it was a real surprise to an unbelieving world that didn't ever expect that to happen and did not glorify God and did not worship him, did not bow to him, did not give him praise. They ignored what Noah said, the preaching of the word that he gave. They ignored the facts of what was taking place. They got more and more evil every day and a bitterness and a hatred for their own creator until God, as Noah went on the ark, shut the door, sealed it, and Noah and his family and the rescued animals of God's creation were placed on the ark. And you know the rest of it. And the rain came down and the flood came up. And all creation was destroyed. God says, as it was with Noah, you don't know the day or the hour, but you better be ready. 
For if you're safe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've received him as your Lord and Savior, if you know him and you've been forgiven of your sins and you have eternal life with him that you're going to heaven when you die or when he comes, you walk in peace in the midst of all of the strife, in the midst of all of the hatred and all the bitterness and all of the sin that we see in our world today, in the middle of that, there is, you, you, you're a child of God. There is a peace. There, there is a comfort in knowing that whatever happens, your soul is well and your family's soul is well because you've led them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. And should it happen tonight, you know you're taken care of. Amen? But you don't know the day of the hour. But he says, when you see these things start to take place, as you know that summer is near, when the fig tree puts on its new leaf, Israel became a new nation. When you know that summer is near, so you know when these things begin to take place that Jesus is coming. Your redemption draws nigh. The signs demand it. We don't know the hour of the day, but the time in which we live demands that his coming is near. Listen to what Paul says to us in, as he writes a letter to the church at Ephesus in chapter 5 and verses 15 and 16. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Does that describe the day you live in? And we're to live in such a way that we redeem the time and walk uprightly. We walk serving the Lord and trusting him, not as fools, but as people given the wisdom of God through the indwelling Holy Spirit. In other words, he's saying, you know how you ought to live. You know how you ought to walk. You know how you ought to speak. You know how you ought to act. Why? Because if you've been born again, if you're saved, when you received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you were born of the Spirit of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Don't marvel at the truth I'm telling you that you be, must be born again. For if you're born again, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you are born spiritually and have that everlasting life and a relationship with him. If you've been born spiritually this morning, just say amen. Born again, know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Know that all is well with me. That doesn't mean we look, run around looking for something terrible or something big to happen today. It means we live expectantly every day that soon King Jesus is coming and we won't have to worry about whether or not there's another football game. We won't have to worry about whether or not there's another election in the country. We won't have to worry about those things. Why? We'll be gone to be with King Jesus. Woo. I done quit meddling and gone to preaching. Gone to be with King Jesus. Never to know the trials of this world. But let me tell you an awful truth, and I'll be through, and I should be already. 
We live in a day when the church ignores these truths. As you read the letters that Jesus had John to write on the Isle of Patmos in the book of the Revelation, and there are seven of them written to seven different churches throughout Asia Minor. And as you read those, there are several applications of those letters. First of all, there's a practical application. Stay with me just a few minutes, would you? There's a practical application that those letters were practically written to churches that literally existed in those locations. When he said, write this to the church at Pergamos, there was a church at Pergamos. When he said, write this to the church at Laodicea, there was a church physically present at Laodicea. So we know they can be practically understood that what Jesus tells John to write were the conditions of those local churches at that time. And historically, we know that those things were taking place in those churches during the time that John was on the Isle of Patmos. So we know that they can be practically understood as letters written to those physically present churches. But there's a personal application. These letters are to be received by the individual believer, for he says in each one of them, let he that has an ear hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. In other words, at any given time in your life, you can read those seven letters and the Holy Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit of what he's saying and encourage you and help you to know the things you need to be aware of in your life. They are personally understood as written to the individual believer to respond to the will and the word of God. They speak as applicable today in given situations as they did to the churches throughout Asia Minor. Now, let me tell you, when I say personally applied, I mean to a local church too. That's the reason pastors can preach the seven letters to the seven churches and make application with their congregation of what's going on in their lives and, and make that application because Jesus said that he that hath an ear hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And we understand there is that personal application. There's a perennial application. And let me just speak to that quickly. Perennial application that there can be any of these circumstances that he writes about in these seven churches can be the situation in any local congregation. So a pastor may say something going on in his church that God has spoken to in his word and he goes to that letter to that church that was experiencing that and he preaches a message on it and reminds them that God has written those letters to the churches at large and to the individual in any time or era to know that the word applies to them. Now, those are the applications, but there's only one interpretation. The interpretation of the seven letters are prophetic. They're prophetic from the very beginning, early days of the church, all the way through 
the last church when Jesus comes again. The church in his infancy was spoken to as the church of Ephesus. And he talks about the things that we know that was going on in Ephesus, but he, he says that's in its infancy. It's in the beginning days of the church. And, and, and I'm not a dispensationalist as such, but there are different eras and dispensations in the Scripture. And, and, and understanding that any time of the church age, this can be applied prophetically. And so we find Prophetically speaking, we are living in the day of the letter to the church at Laodicea. Living like they were. Listen to what he says about them. You're neither cold nor hot, but lukewarm concerning spiritual things. Does that say anything about the church today? Not hot for Jesus, not cold against Jesus, but just lukewarm. You know, that's just the way things are. The church in the last day will think it has need of nothing according to that letter. That we can handle it. We have the money. We have the wisdom. We have the knowledge. We don't need the word of God necessarily make, making application in our lives and the life of our church. We can carry on the church without the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, a lot of folks get a little spooky about the Holy Spirit. I don't understand that. It's not some twilight. He is real. And he moved into your life when you received Jesus. And he is your guiding light. He is the one who leads you. He's the one who grows you spiritually as you study the word. There is a refining, not a refining of the fires of revival in the church at Laodicea. No moving conviction in the church at Laodicea. He says they're naked and shameful and they don't even know it. More influenced by politics and the thoughts of the world than the pure teachings of the Word of God. Is that a commentary on today's church? It is. It is. And I finish by going back to the words of Jesus in chapter 24 of Matthew, verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not expect it. Every once in a while, matter of fact, I happened to be, for some reason, in Auburn, Alabama yesterday afternoon. And walking up to the stadium, I just, I just gave myself away. There were some Christians standing on the corner. And some were passing out tracts. And others were preaching. 
And I'm not saying that's the time or the place. I'm not defending what they were doing by any means. But I tell you, the reaction to them tells me a lot about where we are. Considered lunatics. Considered ignorant. Considered fools. And I tell you, I've seen it it, on street corners. I've seen it in other places. Now, there are those folks, some folks were way off base, and they just do something that looks like for a show. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a genuine, sold-out child of God trying to share the truth of the Word of God and inviting folks to come to Jesus. What's the Christian's reaction? Ignore them. Go on my way. I'm not saying they're right or wrong. Listen to me. Ignore them and go on my way. The very same reaction to the Word of God. I'll ignore it. I'll ignore the warnings of Jesus. I'll ignore the enlightening that Jesus gives me through his teachings. And I'll go on my way. I've quoted this song probably a hundred times in my ministry. Andre Crouch probably, well, he's a godly man and he may have known, but he, he wrote such defining words and such truth in a chorus that we've sung many times in days past. Soon and very soon we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. How does he end it? Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. Stand with me and sing it again. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Do you believe it? Soon and very soon, we are going to see the live like it. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the king. Sing it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. Jesus said, I tell you a parable. It's a story about things on the earth, but it has a heavenly understanding. And the heavenly understanding is what Andre Crouch taught in his heart. Soon, we're going to see the king. We invite you to come today.
If you've never met the Lord as your Savior, I'll be glad to pray with you. If you'd like to be a part of this church family and come and promise a letter or a statement, I'll be glad to pray with you and welcome you to our congregation. You come right now as we begin singing together as Brother Tommy and this wonderful group of musicians leads us as we invite you to come. Lord Jesus, have your way in this place, in this hour, in my life. In Jesus' name, amen.